When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here with my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Marie, how's it going? Oh, yeah. Going pretty good. Going pretty good. I'm all ready. I'm all ready for this episode. Already good I'm stuff. All, I balanced I balanced my checkbook. <laughs> nice. I got all the coins out of the bottom of the sofa. Oh, wow. Good times. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So if I'm, I'm all ready for money. That's really good. That's money, really money, good. money, money, money. Uh-huh. Listeners, before we delve into this episode, I just wanted to take a quick couple of minutes here to ask that if you have a couple of dollars lying around to please consider donating to the KRSM 2018 fundraising drive. KRSM is a radio station here in the Twin Cities that our show is a part of that we like to partner with because of all the great work that the station does with young children from uh, communities that aren't normally given access to media and aren't voices that aren't normally heard out there in the world. And specifically the work of middle and high schoolers here in the Twin Cities that get to come onto KRSM, create radio novellas, documentaries, and other kind of pieces of journalism that are being told from the point of view of kids, young people from communities uh, that you wouldn't normally hear. So there's a couple of youth-led shows here on KRSM. There's First Gen there's Coming to Minnesota, Student Powered Radio, Tea Talk with Charlie, Thinking Out Loud, and Awkward. Those shows are great. They are produced by kids, uh, young people from the community here in uh, Ramsey County. And it's just a wonderful program that I'm really happy we get to support. So if you want to help to continue the work that KRSM does in putting the voices of young people out there, please consider donating you can donate at krsmradio.org slash donate or you can text krsm to 855-735-2437 if you're a patron of the show then you've actually already donated although you may not have realized it because uh, we gave all of our patreon money for uh, the month of august to krsm to help them with this uh, fundraising effort so again please consider donating and if not of course that's fine thank you so much for listening to the show and now let's get into it, Marie. Woohoo! Speaking of money, financial crisis. Speaking. So this is a, speaking of money and what happens if you don't take care of it. This is a topic that we have considered doing for a long time. It is a topic. And by long time, it's been like two or three weeks. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> this one. Honestly, this one has been on my list of topics since like the first week of the show. So I have, I have a couple of topics that I've, I've always really wanted to cover that I knew would take me a long time to research. And honestly, this stuff, I still don't feel like I had enough time to research it, even though it's been like two years since I was planning the show out. But this, this series, we're going to be talking about economics, the history of economics as a discipline, some of the big ideas that are out there, and also about the conspiracy theories and ideas surrounding the coming economic collapse and failure of the United States dollar in particular. Yes. yes. So 
it's a topic that's really spread out. It's there's just so much here that it's it's going to take a long time. You could major on it in you, college, <laughs> right? You could write an entire you thesis. You go on to have a career. Yeah, in it. it's it's almost like it's an entire field of study that neither of us are prepared for. Oh my god. <laughs> It almost is. Almost is. Almost. So so close, but it's not. Yes. This episode, we're going to talk about the, uh, in particular, kind of the current state of economics and economic conspiracy theories. We're going to jump into the 2008 financial collapse. What is some of the differences between a fiat money and kind of a hard money system? And then we're going to jump into with later episodes. How did economics develop? Where did we where did we come from in terms of the United States economy and how, how can we actually effectively look at these conspiracy theories of economics and be able to say to ourselves, does this make sense? Does this not make sense? So and how close, how close could we ever come to a true economic collapse? Absolutely. So let's get right into it, Marie. Welcome to the mad scientist podcast. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I actually, I don't think we've ever actually talked about the 2008 financial collapse, Marie. Not really. Not, not, not together. It's not something that comes up, I guess, a lot. No, it's not. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. Because most of our viewers were probably, our listeners were probably like, probably pretty young when it happened. Too, yeah, so actually, so actually, I remember when it happened so the financial crisis, the, the Great Recession, is as it's become known, occurred in mm-hmm. 2007 to 2008. And it's we're still feeling the effects of the Great Recession. Yes. You know, in, in some ways, we're still in some ways, in terms of real money, in terms of real growth that people have felt at their jobs, we're still really reeling from mm-hmm. the effects of the Great Recession. In terms of yes. the overall economy, though. Uh, we have we have come back in some ways. We've come back, but we haven't learned all of the lessons that 2008 should have taught us in a lot of ways as well. No, it's which is, you know, the idea of bubble, something being a bubble economy, too big to fail, things along those lines. We still haven't really fully, fully gotten our heads around as why they could be dangerous. Yeah, it's. It's interesting. So if you, I I remember being, so it occurred, like I said, 2007 to 2008. I remember being Mm -hmm. in high school when it occurred. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember specifically because my mom works for a major bank. I'm not going to say which bank. We're not going to say what kind of job she does, but Mm -hmm. uh, my mom worked for a major bank. And I remember when it occurred, basically my mom, uh, my mom basically saying, you know, well, my, my retirement plans have been off put by 10 years. (laughs) Right. Because it was she was Mm -hmm. one of the, you know, uh, the what's the word? The retirement funds of many of these people that work in banking and a lot of people across the country really are mostly paid out to them in the form of stocks and bonds and things. Yes. Specifically company stock. And if your company was one of those ones that was hit really hard, then, uh, you know, basically your entire financial future was wiped out in, 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 in a terrible way. Yes. So 
Marie, why don't you why don't you run us through quick the history of this of this great recession? Well, I remember it really quickly because I lost my job. I was laid off. Oh wow. I was working for a financial institution. I had been there for about six months. And when I went in for the interview, they told one of my big questions is, when did you, you know, when, in, when did you have your last round of layoffs and what was the effects? Right. And they were like, oh my God, no, we are totally fiscally solid. You know, it, it would take a major, you know, we're not even worried about it because it would take a major, you know, some, some major act that we couldn't even foresee to, to have layoffs. Right. I kid you not, I want to say like eight months later, laid off. Dang. From that, from that institution. And it, during that time, I did not find full-time work for like, I want to say like a year. So it was like, you know, I think of it, I think of the effects, you know, it affected me personally. Um, I lived in the, I live in the Bay Area. It affected the Bay Area tremendously. It was just sort of this weird shockwave that, there were all these indicators that it was coming and no one really paid attention to them. Mm -hmm. So technically it's marked by the, the stock market crash that was September. I went September 29th, 2008, the Dow Jones fell 777 points in one day trading. And that was the largest, you know, until, until recently, that was the largest point drop in history. Um, and it plummeted because Congress at that point had rejected a bailout bill for the banks. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the high watermark of what, of what, um, of what triggered the markets, uh, what triggered investing groups and professionals to all of a sudden really become alarmed. And that's, that is sort of what opened the, 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 open the floodgates for everything that happened afterwards. Right. Um, but it's pre, it, you know, before that, you know, it goes back, you know, years. I mean, basically 2007, uh, 2007, you know, there was a huge amount of concern around, um, around loans for homes and mortgages. And that basically banks were offering money to people that didn't really have enough money to pay back loans. So if in this, and again, this is something that happened to me personally. So this is so much fun. We get to le relive the darkest days of my, <laughs> of my young life through financial collapse. Good. Yay. Um, so no. So, and I will say that this, this is something that happened is uh, people going to buy a home, going to buy their first home, their second home, whatever it is, they were offered you you go in and you are off unless you have cash to put down you are offered a mortgage loan so you can say hey i'm going to take a loan for i'm just going to make up this amount for a hundred bucks and um i am going to pay it back over time with x amount of interest so the good thing is is if you can afford that hundred bucks right so if you make a job it is 125 bucks you can make that you can make that loan however a lot of the banks were offering loans that were definitely more than that. So, but without, you know, without you having the money in the bank or the wherewithal to pay that. So when we went in to apply for a mortgage, we had a certain price range, right? And we were like, we know realistically with how we save money, how we spend money and what our savings and earning potential is in a household. And I'm going to make up this dollar figure. It's 50 bucks. 
right? When we went in for a mortgage, they were like, you qualify for, you know, uh, for a 500. Right. You know, 500. And we'd be like, no, we can, we can afford 50. And they're like, no, 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 look, we're going to give you 500. So it's sort of this, this amazing quadrupling effort of like, you could buy a home and, and basically sign on the line that is dotted. And, but you couldn't, you didn't really have that money and you didn't have the earning potential to get to that money. So this was also subprime and subprime is I am going to, I am going to make an, a financial offering to a group of people that do not have the wherewithal to pay this back. Right. So, the, so, so what, yeah. what they literally mean by subprime is we, you have a credit score. Mm-hmm. And specifically, that credit score is tied to some intrinsic risk that is available, that, that is part of your kind of financial makeup. Mm-hmm. So a bank knows that if I loan, you know, let's say Marie has really good credit and Chris has terrible credit, right? Chris has a bad cr- credit history, doesn't pay his loans, doesn't do anything, whatever. The bank knows that if I loan the money to Chris, I have to basically double the amount of money I think I could lose because I might lose this money. Right. Whereas if I'm loaning to Marie, I know it's a safe bet. I'm only going to charge her a small amount of interest. Yes. Right. Yes. What the bank. Yes. So what the banks were doing was basically they decided beforehand, they would never give out these, what are known as subprime loans, which Mm -hmm. are loans given to people that have bad credit or, or a history of no credit or whatever in such a way that there's no way they can cover this risk spread. Right. Whereas suddenly it became advantageous to take on risk because you could then trade risk away. Yes. But the idea is, I mean, I think again, where you start to see the bubble growing and where you start to see things starting to go sideways is you see it in your personal, personal debt with like credit cards, which was subprime. There was a whole subprime market for credit cards, but then also in buying homes, which is sort of this, this larger, much larger, much more long-term investment. So if I sign a loan for something that basically I can't afford, I'm going to be on the hook to pay it back a little at a time until, uh, until a certain point where I'm going to owe a lot more money than, than w- that loan was actually worth. Yeah. So, and that's what's known as basically, so it, an economic bubble, yeah. which is, which basically is, and there have been a couple of notable economic bubbles in the history of the United States alone. Uh, probably the most famous one is the tech bubble. But, yes. b- b- well, that was the most famous until the mortgage bubble. Uh, and there, and yes. there, the claim, the, mm-hmm. the, another bubble that's on the horizon is the education bubble. But uh, what a bubble basically is, it is a... So the way that money is traded in the United States today and in a, in a, across the globe generally is our money is not, and this is something we're going to get into more, our money is not set to a fixed valuable asset, mm-hmm. which would be a hard money economy. Now, what that means right. is I have, let's say back in the early, early days of economics, the early days of civilization, I had a goat and you had a whatever you, I had a goat and Mm -hmm. you had, you had lumber and I was like, well, I can give you one goat for 15 bales of lumber, right? Uh, Let's do the trade. 
That was how an economy yeah. was created, was trading and, and uh, mercantile kind of economy, right? Yes. Or not mercantile, but a... Uh, barter base. Barter, exactly, yeah. a barter yeah. economy. Mm-hmm. Eventually, though, the things that were traded for were not things like goats and, uh, you know, whatever. It was valuable assets. So things like gold or silver or copper or yes. gemstones. Those were considered yes. intrinsically valuable because they didn't, they didn't corrode. They didn't, they weren't lost, whatever. And it was always considered strange. Philosophically, it's very strange because strange. who cares? You know, I would much rather have a goat or a thing of wood Coffee, that I can use right? or whatever. Copper. Right. Yeah, then, then a steel. useless, a yeah. useless piece of metal. But, um, but it, it, for some reason, gold took off as the major economic uh, item, gold and silver in particular. Yes. And so what governments would do is they would issue gold and silver coinage out to people. Eventually, that started to be replaced by what's known as fiat currency. Now, a the original fiat currency actually goes back a long, long time. The first fiat currency, as far as we know, is from China in the 11th century, specifically the Song Dynasty, where they issued paper money known as Jiaozoi, or Jiaozi, I can't, I can hardly say that, but uh, this is described in the travels of Marco Polo Mm -hmm. in the, in the Yuan Dynasty, because the Song Dynasty's money actually failed because of inflation, something else we're going to talk about. Uh, The Yuan Dynasty was the first to really use it as a major medium of, of money, and Marco Polo says, quote, all these pieces of paper are issued with as such solemnity and authority as if they were of pure gold or silver. And indeed, everybody takes them readily, for wheresoever a person may go throughout the great Khan's dominion, he shall find these pieces of paper current, and shall be able to transact mm-hmm. all sales and purchases of goods by means of them just as well as if they were coins of pure gold. Now, the reason that that was the case was because the paper was tied to gold. It was tied to silver. So if you right. if you traded this away to someone, whatever, you could go to a government office and say, I want to trade this paper in for gold. Yes. And so they which would is still which is still not exactly fiat. But yeah, no, it's not. It's not yeah. exactly fiat, but it's close. But It's like early. It's like exactly yeah, proto fiat. Yeah. Now, uh, one of my favorite stories about this actually is that the first uh, do you know what the first type of money that was traded in Canada was, Marie, or in New France, as it was called? The loon. No, it was beaver pelts. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. The beaver, pelt, beaver pelts. Yeah. Yeah. Their hats. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The yeah. beaver pelt yeah. was basically their version of gold. And so the government, the government, uh, they, they ran out of gold from France to sell mm. or to give to mm-hmm. the people. And so they actually mm-hmm. started chopping up bits of playing cards. And that was used as money for quite some time. Anyways, that's neither oh here nor gosh. there right now. Uh, the, the basic idea, though, is that m- eventually, and we are going to talk about this in mm-hmm. more detail, money became separated from a physical... Something of value. A physical <laughs> item of value. Of real value, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so today we have what's known as a fiat currency system. A fiat currency basically is something that is... It's given out by a government where the government says we promise to use this as a means of collecting taxes of paying things of whatever. And so the government sets basically it's confidence in the government that sets the value of this item. It's, it's faith. Exactly. Faith in the, in the governing body. Yes. 
Now, that means, though, that the worth of that money changes based on the faith in the government or the stability or the value of the commodities that it can purchase, which is known as inflation. So, for instance, uh, you know, a, a nickel used to be able to buy you a thing of bread, whatever. Today, a nickel gets you nothing. Right. A a thing of bread is, you know, three dollars or whatever, depending on how much expensive (laughs) bread you buy, like my wife and I buy, because evidently it's like a penny a grain. Ridiculous. It's fancy fancy bread. Anyways. uh, So what a bubble is then is the market decides or, or people decide that the value of something is actually far greater than its real intrinsic value. So, for example, I'll give an example of, like, Pokemon playing cards, okay? Oh, my God, yes. Beanie Boos. Okay, exactly, yeah. When I was a kid, uh, the, you know, a Pokemon playing, like, the value of a playing card is limited, right? How much money is a Charizard card worth, really, in the real world? It does nothing for you, right? But people are willing to pay thousands of dollars for a brand new Charizard Pokemon card from the first generation of cards, Okay. Which is crazy. It's, which is, it's ultimate supply and demand. Which is crazy. If Yes. But, but be, it's, it's like baseline economics. If you have something of value or perceived value and there's a demand for it, you will command more of whatever, whatever it is that you're trading for it. Right. Now, that is a very simple kind of transaction. It's like a one-to-one thing. But what started happening in economics was banks decided... Well, actually, we could start selling. Basically, we could start changing and charging people for how much we think something will be worth over time. So let's give an example. This is a little complicated, but the first version just jumping right in the first the first versions of this were (laughs) things like, say, corn or oil. Right. Right. So let's say I know how much oil is worth today. Yes. And I think that in a month or in a year, oil, the price of oil is going to drop by $100 a barrel. And I say to you, listen, this is what I think is going to happen to oil. I will pay you. I'll pay you or I'll sell you my oil at, you know, 110% of its worth today. But I'm going to sell it to you for the next year, every month. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of that trade, I'm losing money. I'm losing 10%. Right. But if oil drops by 50%, then I'm making money after oil drops. Right. Okay. In the yes. same way, if a commodity's price rises and I decide to buy it for cheaper today, then I'll have made money in the future when it's, right. when it's, when it's it actually going up. Right. Okay. Right. What people like a, good, a good example is like corn. If you buy corn and there is a drought, yes. right? Corn becomes more scarce. You are going to make more money because you had the almanac and you predicted a drought. Yeah. Right? So, so it's yeah, it's being able to look at a certain commodity or a certain I would say mostly commodities, at a certain thing and saying you can predict some of the future of what that of what that item will be worth. And so these ideas 
created basically a secondary market on top of the original commodity market where now people were buying and selling what amounts to the risk in the commodities price. So it's basically gambling. <laughs> it is. It is literally gambling. It is basically like if you do not know what something is going to do, but you're going to put money on it based on an outcome. Gambling. Yeah, pretty much. Where we started to get into challenges or where basically the problem starts to come into play here is where the at the moment. So the instantaneous value mm -hmm. of something far outstrips its actual value over time. So, for instance, during the tech bubble, there were companies that looked like they were going to make billions of dollars in 10 years. And so people were buying their stocks like crazy. And the stock prices were just going up and up and up and up. But then what happened was in a year that company collapsed because it really had nothing valuable to sell to people. Right. So the, course, it's business model was just not tenable. Exactly. Like pets at that time, pets.com is the best example of that where they're going to sell pet food and deliver pet food to you and other pet accoutrement to you um, at a very cheap rate. Yeah. And, and they, that's like the cautionary tale. Right. That I right. always remember. And so what eventually happens then is when the actual value of the thing, basically when the market corrects itself and the actual value of that item comes into focus more and more, people start realizing, oh my God, I overpaid for this like crazy and the market just collapses. All that money gets lost because you wasted, you know, $10 million on pets.com stock. And now pets.com went under. Pets. Yeah. Or, and pets.com as a company are just as again, a cautionary tale. They're maybe not necessarily spending their money in the best way either because they are having to hype the company. Right. Yes. So they have a lot of money in marketing, a lot of money in kind of, the idea of the company, but not in the actual running of the company. Like how much does it take to deliver huge bags of dog food for free? <laughs> how long can you do that before you realize you don't have any money as a company? Right. And another good example of this is our Kickstarters, right? Mm -hmm. uh, imagine, you know, people put in, it's, it's approximately the same thing really, besides the fact that you get stock or not or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Someone tells you, I have this great idea for a product you know, and I'm going to sell 1% of it to you for $5. Well, if there's loads of people who want to buy that 1%, they can start asking for more and more money. But there's yes. no, but there's no guarantee that what they're selling is any good. And if no. they're, if they're a good enough salesman, if they're a good enough con person in some ways, then they can basically cause you to buy it for a hundred dollars when it's really worth, you know, a penny. I would say with Kickstarter, you do have an idea that there is inherent risk. Of with course, a bubble with a bubble or with especially with like the tech bubble or things like that, you don't see it until it's almost too late. That's why it gets out of hand. Right. There is no there is no moderation. There is no like uh, guidance or governing governing anything that's telling you this could be a problem or that these are the things that should be looked out for. It just mm -hmm. occurs and you're like, oh, my God, I've got to buy I, I've got to buy. I've got to buy that, that puppet from pets.com. <laughs> right. That's so cool. Right. I need that right now and whatever. Yes. So oh, God. what, 
what eventually happened with the financial crisis was that the value people, these loans were being traded. The risk on these loans was being traded away and away and away. And what happened was when people started defaulting on their loans, they stopped being able to pay them because they were subprime. Right? Yeah. These people had no, again, like Marie was saying, we can afford 50. You gave us a loan for $500 where we have to pay 150 a month or whatever. There's no way we can pay this off. Right. Right. When people started to default, the interest rates went up to try to cover that risk. And instead what happened was people were just like, well, we can't like, we literally cannot pay it. There's no value here. Right. Yeah. So anyone who spent money on those loans by trading the risks away or the bank that was holding the loans or whatever was suddenly faced with the fact that, Oh my God, we, we basically gave away this house to these people. They can't pay it anymore. And there's not enough demand for houses. So if we take the house back, there's n what are we going to do? We basically just lost. We just gave away free money. Exactly. Like idiots. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. But a lot of these people, too, that have all this debt against them, right? Um, like, I, okay, so I signed away my life for, you know, and I'm supposed to be paying back 150 and I could only afford 50. Um, that debt, like Chris was saying, was, was considered, that loan was considered at one point an asset. So it would be bundled with other like loans that were similar to it and, and bought by other banks, so my mortgage, it was under Jones Mortgage Company, could be bundled with other subprimes and sold to the Smith Bank. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, my mortgage was held by a different company. So whether I was, which may or may not have any kind of accuracy of records about how much I owe, when is my due date, am I eligible for refinancing, sort of all the details that are important to walk through and know about and retain when you are getting a mortgage could also be lost. And this is happening, this is happening like every day, hundreds and thousands of times a day, people were, people's debt was being traded which again is inherently confusing because if you think about it, you already have something that doesn't make sense. That's building on 
a faulty premise, which is subprime, right? Yeah. That you're going to take in money that eventually these people aren't going to have. The idea being they're going to be so in debt that they're going to have to pay that money back and it's just going to take them longer. But what, like Chris was saying, the thing that, that nobody anticipated was that they just weren't going to be able to pay it and everything would collapse. But take that and combine the fact that you're doing a three-card Monty with it and playing Where's the Lady? And basically, no one knows where the holding the holder of your debt is. So now it's just sort of this big blender of confusion that is setting up an economic, a near economic collapse in 2000, coming up on 2008. Yeah. And so, and so to, to try to, I guess, mm-hmm. step back and explain it a little bit more. So this money, money stuff like this, flat, it just <laughs> confuses the hell out of me, you know? So it's one area where my brain is just, you know, I can't if it's if it's energy and photons and whatever, I'm fine. But if you turn those, mm-hmm. you know, that energy from kilojoules to like million dollars of oil or whatever, I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. So That's so weird. It's it's really thing. weird. I know. Anyways. But so the the general idea here, what these banks were basically doing was, like Marie said, they were bundling mortgages together. Yes. In a way that they were saying to another bank, so Here's a very simplified example of that, or a simplified explanation, I guess. I loan money to someone, and I tell them, I'll give you 100 bucks, and in 10 months, you pay me $120. At the same time, I owe Billy down the street $120. What yes. these banks were doing, in a way, was saying was saying, well, I don't have the $120 right now, but that guy down the street owes me 120 So you know what? Guy down the street, you now owe Billy $120. I don't know. I'm out of this transaction. Okay? What I have essentially done is I have removed all of the risk from myself that Billy or whatever, the guy down the street, isn't going to pay me that 120 and I have transferred all of that risk onto Billy, who I owed that original money to. Yes. But at the same time, Chris, you would also be buying debt. So I would be coming to you with the exact same deal scenario. Yes. Right? So, and this is this is going on. It's just maybe it's a slightly different amount, but like I bought the debt from the person you sold it from. Right. And now I'm going to sell it back to you and so imagine uh, imagine that there's like five of us and we've all loaned money to people who will never ever we we all know that you know you know john down the road is never going to be able to pay this 120 dollars back right and we all think we're smart by selling it or giving it away to another loan shark right and so we're all Mm -hmm. like we're all like we're getting one over on that guy but then it's just the same seven idiots trading each other's debts back and forth to each other. And then yes. imagine that. So imagine now the prices of all those debts, like let's add another layer of complication on top of that. Every time I trade my debt away to someone. So I say, you know, John owes me 120. I'm going to trade it to Billy for 120. Billy is like, okay, I'll do that. But you give me $10 today. Yes. And every time I do that now, 
like basically that original debt gets traded around that circle of people so many times that at the end of it, I'm trading it for like a hundred thousand dollars and it's still only a debt of 120 bucks. Yes. But so you've inflated it. Uh, so I, yeah, so I have inflated it and then John comes back and says, well, I'm not, I can't pay it, you know, whatever. All of a sudden now the actual value of that debt comes into focus and we say, oh, it's worth zero dollars. Oh my God. I paid a hundred dollars for, I, or I paid $200, however much I paid for it for nothing. I just lost a lot of money. Yes. That is essentially what happened here. <laughs> Everyone was like. They were trading these debts back and forth, being like, oh, it's just risk, whatever, it'll get paid eventually, who cares? And then everyone was like, we don't have any money to pay this debt off. And suddenly the banks were like, we traded each other nothing, and <laughs> none of us have any money left. And none of us kept track of what we did have. Exactly, right? exactly. So it's insanity. Everyone, it's like, it's like I said, it's like a big blender. No one can tie back with any kind of accuracy, like, how much money they actually did spend. As Chris said, like, I'll give you that $10 now. Well, that money's all gone. So all the money we did have that was sort of underpinning and securing the banks was lessened to begin with. And we took on all of this debt that is now this big black cloud of, you know, that does not, that does not have any kind of tie to anything or any kind of clarity, yeah. which is really scary and now and again it's it's something that only i feel like that is inherently sort of a modern trading a modern 20th century creation right it's like we're gonna take debt i'm gonna figure out like we haven't even gone into like what a derivative is which is basically taking whatever that is and coming up with some crazy algorithm to trade the debt so i'm gonna like i'm a i'm a day trader I could find, hey, oh my God, Chris just Chris just took on all this debt from Billy. I'm going to trade on it, and I'm going to, you know, sell it short, saying that he's not going to have that money. Or he's <laughs> right. going to have that money. <laughs> right. It's right? like so you, you have all this like insanity happening within within the financial market of people basically betting for or against that the market will crash. That you will either be able to pay the debt to some extent or not pay the debt to yeah. some extent. And that's just everything like thermonuclear cleared it out. And then all of a sudden that's we people realize, oh, we don't have any real money. <laughs> we have yeah. no real security. And, right. And that's and that's the, an, an, an underlying problem that we haven't really touched on yet. Or we kind of keep coming back to it. We haven't made it explicit yet mm -hmm. is the fact that people because they were giving away these mortgages for nothing, basically. Mm -hmm. the people were building houses like crazy. So there were, yes. there were more houses than there was demand for houses. And like all the construction that goes into that. So think about, you have to pay, you have to buy the land, you have to pay for the builders, you have to pay for the, the, um, the equipment that goes into it and the, the goods that go into it. Right. You have to, you have to create a whole, um, you're building communities. So like all of this money is being poured into something that is going to not be actualized in a right. lot of ways too. And, and so the old way of thinking about economies was that all of that stuff that they went into that house will still, will always have its intrinsic value. So basically the idea, the saying was that the market clears itself. So if there is supply out there, the market will mm -hmm. eat up all that supply, regardless of the, of the, regardless of how the economy is doing. 
But <laughs> that that model though could not mm-hmm. could not explain depressions and recessions. And so when Keynes came out and said, "Well, no, that's crazy." What happens instead is you make so much supply that demand drops and then the value of that supply just goes to nothing. And that's essentially what happened here was the houses. There were so many houses that it actually banks were buying homes and demolishing them because it was cheaper to not have a house on the land than it was to have to worry about the electricity and the gas and everything else and whatever. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So so at a certain point, the federal the bank of the Federal Reserve, which we will go into at some point. But basically, just think of them now. If you don't know anything about them is they're the governing body that is in charge of America's money in a lot of ways. Right. And it's like when stuff begins to swing too far one way or too far the other, their job is to try and get it someplace that's tenable they're, in the middle. I think it's the best way of right, trying to explain because, it, right? Because our, because our money is not linked to an intrinsically valuable asset, like gold or silver or whatever. Right. The Basically, the, the government, this is the government body that decides this is how much, this is how much a dollar is really worth. Yes. Right? And, and this is how we yes. can pay for it and whatever. And yes. again, further complicating all of this is that the United States after World War II, and we're we are going to get into this more. We keep saying that. We promise we will. The United States government <laughs> dollar. Are like what? I like the one where you guys talked about cats. I know. <laughs> I know. The dollar. When are you guys going to do one on cats again? <laughs> the uh, the dollar of the United States has become basically the de facto currency of the world. Yes. So. You know, so the, yes. what the what the gov- what the United States economy does is very important. It's taken on more of an importance than just you know the uh, whatever. So, anyways, continue, so it, Marie. I'm sorry. So it's no. So it's important for the Federal Reserve to kind of keep keep things um, moderated, right? So all of a sudden, this huge blender, black cloud debt comes in, and in late November. Um, Secretary, Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson basically said, you know what, we have to purchase the American, the, the Bank of the Federal Reserve has to purchase some of this debt, right? So we have to buy, we have to clean some of this stuff out. And as one of the things that we have to do is uh, we're going to have to, to clean it out, we're going to have to buy it and, and, and just take and kind of take the hit and just say, you know what? America's going to buy this debt to try and clear out what's happening and in hopes that it will just go away. But the problem with that is it it just ultimately made the problem worse because you have you have you're not solving the issue and you have uh, the Federal Reserve trying to bail it out and not that not working. Yeah, right. right. You're 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 essentially saying. Because, again, it's the it's. It's all it's all a house of cards, Marie. It's all made it's up. It's all house of like, cards. You can't you can't just move it. Like no, basically no. that affects your gross, you know, your your GDP, right? So the gross domestic product saying, hey, this is we're America and we can say that we are worth this much money and we do this much because um, and our dollar is should govern and is is sort of the de facto, as Chris said, this is it's the de facto currency that everything's measured by. 
because our gross domestic product supports it, right? So what we are outputting as a nation of just whatever that is, whatever it's, you know, uh, commodities, whatever that looks like is this. But when you start to say, hey, we're going to we're going to buy some of this, we're going to buy some of this toxic debt back, it shrunk our our product slightly. So it just it ended up making the problem that much worse because it, it weakened us. It weakened the fact that we are the dollar was strong. Well, here's the part that I don't understand, though. Right. This this is and this yeah. is why basically the ultimate point of this episode is to say this is all intensely complicated and so in the vacuum of information Balance your and checkbooks, sense, kids. In, in the vacuum of common sense and I and, and just like you know sensible operation right. that is the banking industry right. conspiracy theory has bloomed yes right but yes. what what I don't yes. understand is okay the government the money that the government the value of a United States dollar Yes. Is ultimately set by the government, but that is set by how much product, how much actual product the United States people produce. Yes. Right? So yes. what I what what always flabber what always just kind of blows my mind here with economies generally is and this is gonna sound super naive and stupid, and I know it's not this simple, but like everyone is like, we are gonna destroy each other because we all owe each other money. Why wasn't, why didn't the whole world get together and be like, you know what? We're just not going to worry about it. Forgive our debt? Yeah! Oh, no. Why not? Who the, cares? Well, because... Like, it's... They, it's they're it's not like, going to forgive debt because, one, then, then we would have to say that there was a problem to begin with. So I think with, with everything that is actual economy with, with, with what happened, there's this huge ambiguity and emotional reaction to stock markets to to financial situations to any to any kind of scare or any kind of bubble it's created from people that are that are not logic based that are emotionally based right so you know and i think that's that is part of one of the that's part of the complication with this as well is that you can't just you know you can't just sort of say well we're going to forgive it because one, then what does that do to American currency? If they just forgive American currency, their currency is as strong that then their currency becomes as strong as ours sort of on an emotional level too. But that's what, okay. But that's America was never going to let, you know, basically that was just never going to happen. You know, we don't, was never going to give that sure, up. Sure. Sure. But you know what I'm saying? Right. Sure, like, sure, sure, sure. like yeah. we're all trading, we're all trade. Everyone has as much oh, product. We did take loans. I'm sure we took out, I'm sure we took oh, out we absolutely huge did. amounts of loans. We absolutely did. And stuff. It's yeah. just, it's just like it, to me, it always seems like with all of this, with all of these econ economic things. <laughs> and this is why I think it is so easy for conspiracy to flourish is that I would agree. It seems like a bunch of just like mm -hmm. stubborn mm -hmm. jerks who are basically saying, mm -hmm. I know I owe you $10 million, but this guy owes me $100,000. And so I'm going to burn both of our houses to the ground. You know, like well, just, just forgive it. Just who cares? Just move. Right. Well, you well, have as that's... much money as you had. Like you have as much real stuff that matters as you did before. If well, the, if the kind of what happened though it is kind of what happened but I guess I, I oh god it's okay well so what kind of happened after that was 
the Federal Reserve Chair said, you know what, for us for us to come out of this, so we tried to buy some of the debt, right? We tried to re we tried to reshuffle this deck of cards, this this house of cards. It's not working. We're going to have to bail out. We are going to have to actually, instead of buying the debt, we're going to have to give money directly to the people that are losing it, which are the banks. So what happened, again, to, to sort of spur this decision, um, and again, I think we're taking, we're, we're really simplifying this, is, yeah. is that uh, Lehman Brothers, Lehman Brothers was a financial institution. It was a very prestigious financial institution that traded um, God, I, I'm trying to remember exactly everything that they did. Well, they, basically, they basically they made money off of other, it's crazy. They made they made yeah. money they made money off of other people trading money to each other, yes. and then like yes. it's crazy, it's ridiculous. They like, were basically like built any, on nothing. Like all these companies, they were built on nothing. <laughs> it's a comedy about nothing, Marie. I'm getting so heated. I'm so annoyed. I, I'm getting I so know. heated. They, well, the thing with that is at that point, right? So. They came to, basically came to the government and said, "Look, we are we are we are very close to having to close. We're very close to going out of business because of all of this that was happening, and we need your help." And at that point, the government, Bank of Federal, they were like, the Feds were like, "No, you know what? Go ahead, fail. You're gonna fail." So they failed. They closed their doors, and the stock market freaked the f out. That again. Dow dropped, people were freaking out, the banks are going under, there was a run on the banks. So again, if you see your bank close, if you see a big financial institution that's been, you know, publicly traded, blue chip stock, you know, Wall Street's darling that has been there since your, you know, since your dad and grandpa wasn't banking, close, it's going to trigger a reaction that's that's emotional. And that emotional reaction, sort of like Chris becoming irate, is could be a run on the bank. So I could freak out and I could be like, oh my God, the banks are going under. I have to liquidate. I have to get all my money out of the bank as quickly as I can because I won't I might I might lose it. Like what if they close their doors and all my money is there? I won't be able to get it. I'll be broke. I'll be poor. So, but if you have a run on a bank. And you have all these people running and having that reaction. That's exactly what will happen. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. It is a self-fulfilling uh, conspiracy theory, right? Yeah, so the, they yeah. saw that this was happening. Uh, the government saw this was happening and said, you know what? We can't have this happen either. So we are going to have to bail out. We are going to have to bail at least a portion of these banks out. And that, uh, starting in 2008, September, almost a year later, was the beginning of the, of what is kind of known as the big bailout, where yeah. Bernanke sent a bailout bill to Congress. Um, you know, it's it is what helped bounce the the Dow back. Um, but then I think Senate, I think the Senate voted against it. And so I mean, there was just like all this panic that, based when you have inconsistency or uncertainty in a financial market it will cause this type of panic and things will just get worse. Yeah. So when they finally passed it, the, the bailout, I mean, people were, you know, besides myself, jobs were being lost. Um, money markets were down, you know, things were, things were, things were getting a lot, a lot worse. So it, we 
barely, I think we barely came out of this. And Chris, you can kind of maybe talk to that. I'm, I'm now the doom and gloom. I mean, but things were like really not good and we were coming close to, uh, to a collapse. Yeah. So basically what occurred here was the, the government bailed out these big banks, Mm -hmm. right? And so the financial market stabilized eventually. And, but the, the problem, and I think this is really why, what a lot of people feel still today. And I'm, I definitely, I think agree in some ways mm-hmm. is that, okay, wall street is fine now, right? Wall street has gotten better, mm-hmm. but, but the actual purchasing power or the actual real wages that people feel in their homes has not changed, has not gotten mm-hmm. better. So, you know, great. The banks aren't failing and all these idiots who have been trading, you know, trading made up money to each other for the last 10 years since the collapse. Wonderful that they're feeling better about themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. But they and that they all got like million dollar bonuses. Exactly. Got million Wonderful. Dollar, multi-million bonuses. Yeah. Wonderful. You know. The. But they've decided now that they're not going to trade with us anymore. <laughs> right they've they've decided that now all of a sudden because they were too stupid to realize it back then that actually risk is so risky that you know we're not going to give out uh loans anymore and we're not going to help whatever like it's it has hurt it still hurts people today who are trying to get a loan for a home or are uh, just trying to use their money right to pay for goods and services right so exactly you know wages have not raised wages have not gone up really significantly to match uh, how good these companies are doing because the companies are still i think very frightened by you know it's almost like when your dog scares itself or you know your dog farts itself awake right that's kind of how (laughs) i would say this occurred like the banks the banks were like oh my god we're idiots and then they woke up for a second they were like oh my god we're idiots we're all idiots and then the government was like, you're not an idiot. You're okay. And now the banks are like, oh, thank God we're not idiots. Oh, it's all, it's yeah. all those people. It's all those blue collar workers who are idiots. You know, like well, it's, so it's very easy to see. I think that, or rather the, they've scared themselves. They scared themselves so badly with this and caused such a, a, a dip in the market and a dip in the money. And, and, you know, it showed just how shaky our markets really are that then the, uh, the banks now have almost taken, or the companies generally have become more conservative in how they spend money in their outlooks for the future. And all that is done. It has not hurt the CEOs. All it has done no. is hurt the workers who are at the bottom who now the companies are saying, well, it's, we don't have enough money held back that we can pay you more, or we don't have enough to pay you pay your health insurance act, you know, adequately or yada, yada, yada. Right. Because what if, because what if we fart ourselves awake again, (laughs) basically? Well, and we, we still don't learn the lesson because they're predicting like the next bubble will be, will be education. Oh my God. Of course it will. Of course it will be like all of like, 
people, again, and you can start to see it, you start to see like early, kind of like little early ways and early indicators of, you know, to, to, to pay for college, they took out this much money, which may, which now they have to pay back. At a, but they'll at never a, make, a, right, they'll never make that much again. they'll never make that money yeah. back. Yeah. And so again, it's like you will default on education loans. It could have the same type of ripple effect that will not be as big as like a housing market, but it will still it'll still have the same, you know, it still shows that we haven't exactly solved this problem. No, well, we have, we have this, what to look out for. We have this viewpoint almost where, so federal student, you know, student loans are not allowed to default on, mm-hmm. but it's like, what are you going to do to stop me? You know what I mean? Like, like, what are you going to, how well, you I'm can't sure, get, like, you can't get water yeah. from a stone, right? Like, no, what are you no. going to do? Oh, I, I can't, Oh, I, I have to pay this back. What am I damn money? So what are you going to do? You know what I mean? What? Uh, oh, okay. It's like it's like when your mom, you know, uh, what was it? You know, when when you were a kid, and your mom was like, you know, uh, you. Uh, 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 this is a bad example, but I always we went we went out fishing the other day with uh, one of one of my friends who's now here in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and we were he was getting water from the lake for us to fill up a thing that we were fishing. We were fishing, so we wanted to have a thing of water where we could put the fish to unhook them and whatever. But so. Um, so he was like teetering on the edge of this rock and I was like, if you fall in the water and die, I'm going to be so mad at you. Right. And it's kind of the same thing here. I think with these, with this economy, cause it's like, if you default on this loan, we're going to come after you. And it's like, well, if I don't yeah. have enough money to pay it, then I don't know how you're going to come after me. Like, I wish you luck selling all my video games for the hundred thousand dollars I owe you, you know, but if I haven't done it yet, I don't think you're going to. So anyways, okay. So suffice it to say, this is a little bit complicated. Well, and yeah, and it's just rife with like for something that should be like, again, economics has, has some rules. Like there are certain things that are done. There are certain things that are, you know, there's certain definitions that hold over time. There's a history to it. But then there's all this wackadoodle emotional response to right. stuff. Right. Well, people is just crazy. Yeah. And so ah. and so in that space of uncertainty, and yes. I think when people when people I think the average person, I know I certainly had this view. I think the average person has a view that the economy is there, it has to be based on something real. Yes. You know, it has to be based on something. I, I know we're not on the gold standard anymore or whatever, yeah. but there has to be some reasoning behind all of this stuff. Right. And right. What, my, what my paycheck is worth something. When right. I put it in the bank, I'm okay. And what the, right? gr- it's, it's self-interest. And what the great recession, I think for a lot of people showed was it kind of, it kind of pulled away you know, the smoke and mirrors of Oz and showed it to be the little man, him to be the little man that he really is. It kind of pulled it all away and showed, well, actually all of this is just based on the, the, (laughs) you know, the feeling, the good feelings of a bunch of bankers, right? There's nothing, there's nothing holding this all together because look at how easily it could fall apart. Exactly. And so conspiracy theorists, folks like Alex Jones, uh, you know, folks like uh, folks like uh, Ron Paul, let's say, for Mm -hmm. example, whose star certainly rose with a financial crisis, people Mm -hmm. that that were prepping, you know, preppers, things like that. It it suddenly 
became a very real possibility that the economy might collapse. Yes. The, the flavors of this conspiracy theory are varied. There's all kinds of different versions of it, but the general idea of the, of the economic conspiracy theory is the government or the, the, the value of the money for some reason will drop to such an extent that it will become worthless. Once money becomes worthless, then it's only folks who have real hard money, things that they can barter for, things like gold and silver, mm -hmm. things that hold their intrinsic value, that will be able to survive. That's the, mm -hmm. that's the basic idea. Yes. The reasons that these, the reasons that these economic failures happen or these crazy, you know, runs or whatever occur are varied and very complicated. But the general idea is if you want your family to be okay, then you need like four things. You need food, you need water, you need some precious commodity that will not lose its value, usually gold mm -hmm. or silver, and you need guns. Right. Those a are the way to four. protect yourself. Those oh, are the yeah. four that become really the most important to this whole idea. And so yes. in the wake of the Great Recession, conspiracy theorists just kind of blew up. And, you know, folks like Alex Jones now pulling in all this money, selling supplements, selling guns, selling MREs, selling whatever. Um, it's become a very, very common and very popular conspiracy theory. So. In this series, what we want to do is trace the history of money, trace the history of economies from their beginning, talking about all of the other permutations of these conspiracy theories as they've occurred over time, and eventually coming to a point, hopefully, where at least I'm not as angry as I am right now, Marie. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You'll be angry. It'll just be about different things. That's all. That's true. That's true. And so since this is our run up to the Halloween season, dear listeners, yes. we will be having bonus episodes on little creepy tidbits as they come up. Ooh. And this Ooh. is all cum culminating in our October series on demonology. Oh, my God. I'm very just excited. So excited about I can't wait. I can't wait. Either. All right. It's almost here. It's almost here. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. We uh, wanted to give a quick shout out to our new patrons this month. We have Yay, uh, patrons Alejandro. Us money. We won't squander it like government does. So good stuff. We have mm -hmm. uh, Jason. We have Chris, Jason again, and Alejandro. Thank you so much for becoming patrons of the show. You Woo. guys are great. So that is again, uh, just Jason did not give a last name. Very exciting. Chris Conesco, I hope I'm saying that right. Jason Wissinger, Alejandro Rojas, great friend of the show, great guy. Go check out his series on YouTube and all of his stuff. He's wonderful. One of the best UFO researchers out there. Uh, just generally one of the greatest, uh, I, I think one of my favorite writers out there right now. Alejandro. Alejandro is the man. It's such awesome. a good name. And so if you would like to donate to the show, please consider donating to our Patreon. Give us ratings and reviews on iTunes, Facebook, everywhere. And, uh, yes. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.